starting a new series is always a bit difficult because you've always got to give the background and it always feels a bit administrative to me. But I've, um, I've done a few things to make it not that. So uh, new series over the next five weeks looking at the book of Jonah. Offended by grace. That's what we're calling it. Uh, so how many of you are familiar with Jonah, the story of Jonah? Put your hands up. Yeah. I, I, I would be amazed if anybody didn't know about that story. Some of us have heard it many times. Anyone sing that song at Sunday school? Listen to my tale, Jonah and the whale, way down in the bottom of the ocean, that one. Um, and we know this song, we know this story so well. Some of us know the song uh, and, but that's a bit of a problem for us, actually, because if there's any story in the Bible that we could become over-familiar with, it's about Jonah. And, uh, it, you know, every Sunday school class, every children's book about it, and, and immediately the likelihood, if we hear about Jonah, our expectation is Jonah and the whale. You know, that's the first thing that comes into our heads, the big fish. I mean, if you take a random sampling, as I did, of... Um, Amazon here, of book titles, and there's even an adult book title there, look, Jonah, cover to cover, what is on the front? Yeah, it's the fish, the fish is just everywhere, every time you mention the story of Jonah, but guys, the fish only appears in two sentences in the whole book, only two sentences, and the fish is not the thing about the book. <laughs> it's not the main focus. It's not even a particular theme. Uh, and to make Jonah about the whale is to miss what the story is really about because the story of Jonah is much more than just a rather strange children's story. It's scripture. <laughs> it's God-breathed. It's invented to reveal something about God and his plan for the world just like any other book in the Bible. And Jesus talked about Jonah, and he directly identified himself with Jonah, didn't he? And the resurrection, for goodness sake. He says there's not going to be any other sign except for the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus thought Jonah was an important character and pointing to his resurrection, I mean, that is pretty fundamental. So whatever the book of Jonah is about, it's about this. It's about revealing another part of God's plan to us for the salvation of everyone. And actually, the book of Jonah is one of the most brilliantly told stories in the Bible. It's witty, it's ironic, it's funny, it's really funny in some places, and it's sarcastic too. I love the sarcasm. I think God is really messing with Jonah at certain times because Jonah really doesn't like it when God forgives bad people, really doesn't like it when they repent at all. See, Jonah is also a book that's meant to provoke us. This story is very much of a, an adult story, actually, and it's designed to expose our hearts. It offends the religious spirit. It challenges our prejudices but in a satirical kind of way that helps us kind of laugh at ourselves. So that's it, okay? So let's get into it. Let's look at it this week. Just the first couple of verses by way of introduction. So Jonah, have you found it yet? It's a, I had to look it up in the index because I've been using the computer to read it all week. So Jonah, chapter 1, just the first three verses. 
So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, he ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. <laughs> I just love that. I love this. I love this man. Jonah, his name means dove, and he's son of Amittai, which means truth. And if you know anything about the Bible, names have special significance. So here we have it in the name of the prophet, the dove of truth. So there's something that the Holy Spirit wants us to hear about ourselves and also about God and what he's like. And although this book starts like any other prophetic book with the word of the Lord coming to a prophet, there's not a lot of prophecy in this book, except for there's one line a bit later on, which is the shortest kind of prophetic word I've ever seen. Uh, but mostly the story is about the prophet. It's not a prophecy, it's about the prophet Jonah who disobeyed God and refused to do what he was told, which was to deliver a message to the Ninevites he didn't want to bring. And this is bad because that's what prophets are meant to do. Say what God tells them to say, and he was a prophet. Uh, so, and that's not the issue. It wasn't like Jeremiah, for instance, who heard, the who heard the call of God and said, no, not me, I can't speak very well. Uh, choose somebody a bit older. Jonah was an established prophet, a contemporary of Amos, and Hosea, it's thought. And this book is not the only mention of him. He appears in 2 Kings 14, where on the back of a prophetic word he brought to King Jeroboam, the northern kingdom of Israel was expanded, reclaiming some of the territory that had been stolen by its neighbors. So why did Jonah run then? He was clearly a gifted prophet. He was successful. He obviously heard the word of God. Was he a health fanatic, perhaps? Like some people who like running today. Like our dear Pam. For goodness sake, she's running a half marathon today. Why? I don't understand it. Uh, or perhaps Jonah was just desperate for a holiday and decided on a cruise around the Mediterranean because this time of year is great, you know? Um, or was it fear? Perhaps he was afraid to go to this great capital city, which incidentally was a walled city about the size of Birmingham. So it was a big city. And go to that evil Assyrian king and give him God's verdict on his appalling behavior. I kind of, yeah, I think I'd been a bit scared about that. Knowing what we do about the Assyrians from history, they were incredibly ruthless, cruel torturers. They were known for impaling their enemies on wooden spikes. And I won't go into the detail, but I've read about it. But, and so it wouldn't have been surprising if he'd been afraid, but there's no hint that Jonah was afraid. More likely, and certainly I think this is true as you get to know this man, it was precisely because of what had happened with King Jeroboam in 2 Kings 14 that made him run. Jeroboam was an evil man who worshipped a golden calf and treated the people terribly, especially the poor. And yet, on the back of the prophetic word that Jonah gave him, God blessed him, extended his lands, instead of punishing him for his 
many sins. And I think Jonah was a bit cheesed off about that. God, why did you have to bless him like that? You know, perhaps you can relate. I mean, be honest, have you ever thought like this? Even once, someone who's hurt you, let you down in some way, even a church or a whole group of people, and put it this way, you may have forgiven them, but you don't quite want God's blessing on them yet. You want them to suffer for a little while at least, or am I just the only one? <laughs> but Jonah ran. He ran, and we don't know exactly why he ran at this point, but the sum of the whole book is that Jonah was offended by God's grace, which is why we're calling this series, Jonah, Offended by Grace, to such an extent that he ran, and I've got a little map for you, just like Simon Clay, I've managed to steal this map off the internet because he ran around 550 miles from his hometown, which was in Galilee, another reason why I think Jesus might have had a soft spot for him, to the port down there in Joppa. That was a very long way for a donkey, wasn't it? I mean, you know, it's before cars and buses and planes, 550 miles of running. And then he found this boat traveling west, slightly from one end of the Mediterranean Sea to the other, to Tarshish, which historians reckon could be a trading city of a similar name in Spain. Wow, he did want to go on holiday, you know, Spanish holiday. But he couldn't get much further than that, could he? And who knows what his mad logic was to think that he could run away from God. You know, didn't he know David's Psalm 139? And I like to read this Psalm with an exasperated tone. That's how I imagine how David was uh, saying it. He says, where can I go from your spirit? I'm trying to get away. Where can I flee from your presence? Because I don't want to do that. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go into the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there. Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. That's just my imagination. I'm sure David wasn't like that, exasperated. But perhaps Jonah thought like that. Perhaps he thought, you know, God doesn't frequent pagan ports and nations. That God wouldn't operate in these kind of places. Perhaps he thought he could hide in another land where they don't worship Jehovah God. Maybe he was just... So outraged by God, he just didn't think at all. He just ran in the opposite direction as far as he could in the quickest possible time. He just wanted to get away from the calling of God, from his presence. He just wanted to get away. And we'll come on to the boat trip next week because, funny story, Jonah couldn't hide from the all-knowing, omnipresent, all-powerful God, even in his sleep, but he tried. Funny story, really. But haven't we made the same mistake at different times in our lives? You know, God's not going to find me here. He can't see what I'm doing right now. He's not interested in my life anymore. I'm just going to hide from God and what he's called me to do. If I just keep quiet, if I just sit at the back, if I don't go to that meeting, certainly if there are prophetic people, I'm not going there. I know, I've done it. I've done this. You know, from crucial, in crucial moments, <laughs> I bottled it. 
But, you know, he catches me out and finds me again, like some kind of crazy cosmic game of hide-and-seek where the odds are stacked impossibly in his favour, and it's ready or not, he's coming, and he's already there ahead of me. And sometimes I've even wondered about the idea of free will and whether it even exists, because I don't seem to have a choice, because I find myself yet again saying, Lord, I want to please you. What's that about? Thank you. But you see, God is so persistent in his calling of us. I was four years old when God first spoke to me about being a pastor or leading a church. But, you know, I was never under any illusions about this or what it would mean for me. So I kind of ran, hiding from that calling, but knowing that one day he was going to catch me up. And I wasn't particularly in rebellion or even sin. I just knew the cost didn't want to pay it or didn't know if I was able to or ready to pay that cost. Because, you know, there is a cost. There's a price for obedience and a life laid down to do his will. And you, you guys know that my dad was a pastor, so I knew what that meant. My granddad was one too, and I didn't like the look of that either. So I thought I'd be a lawyer instead. They earn more and they seem to have less hassle in life. And so I gave myself to that for many years. That's what I did. But then there's something that God does in our hearts when he calls us. Something that makes the call irresistible. It started for me when, with a growing desire to preach. A kind of woe is me if I don't, which Paul talks about. Discovered that in the Bible. I thought, oh, that's what it is. It's not like I was any good at it when I started. I think I've got a little bit better. The first time, thank you. Um, <laughs> just feeling a bit insecure then. Uh, first time I ever preached a sermon was in my home church um, when I was 14 years old, and it didn't go well. Um, but from the moment I did it, even in those faltering first steps, I knew that it was something I was born to do. But couldn't I do this and my law job at the same time? Couldn't I? And one day I was walking to work in the beautiful Birmingham city centre. And God spoke to me so clearly, it was almost like an audible voice. And he said, I want you to come and work for me now, which was a bit of an in-house joke between him and me because of the secular, non-secular divide, which I'd made peace with. And I was quite happy to work in the secular, and maybe justify my calling there. Long story. But that was where the journey began, and it's where I am today. But I'm still running away a bit, if I'm honest. Counting the cost is real. But what is it for you? You knew I was going to turn on you, didn't you? What is it for you? What are you running away from and why? What is the fake cruise ship around the Mediterranean that you're busy with? He's going to catch you. Are you running? As I was preparing this message, I was going to skip over this bit and go merrily on to the funny story in the rest of the chapter. It really is funny. But I felt like God wanted me to stop here this week and give some people the opportunity to respond again to the calling of God on their lives. 
feel like he wants to renew a sense of calling for some of you. And that some of you are going to have a moment of decision today where you're going to have to decide whether you're going to stop running or not. So what has he told you to do? You know, perhaps you don't know yet. Um, I think for some of you, God is going to start to speak to you today. But for others, it was years ago, and the, but the spark is gone. But for you, the call was so long ago, you wonder, does it even apply today? Does it still apply? Life kind of moves on, but he's not. He's not moved on. Your life might have. But he is moving in on your position <laughs> where you're hiding. And don't you find it exhausting hiding from the Almighty anyway? <laughs> all that questioning, all that wondering about direction. Have you been saying, well, where's, where, where's my direction? What am I doing with my life? Well, maybe you're hiding, hiding from who you really are and running. And look, let me just be clear. I'm not just talking about a calling to ministry in the church. Although for someone hearing this message, it might be true. But there are many things that God calls us to. He asks us to do these things with our lives. I, I really prayed over this, guys. And, and this is a list of things I felt like God wanted to address. There's some people here or on the internet. I don't know. Hi. Hi, lovely friends on Zoom. But here's a list. Perhaps it's the education you never had that would help you so much to expand the kingdom now. But the cost of taking up that education now would be a real challenge because of your circumstances. Perhaps it was the money you resolved to give, but you never quite sorted it out. Or perhaps it's the move you've never made, but it's still there in the back of your mind. That promotion you felt you should take, but you didn't have the courage to go for, but guys, it's coming round again. <laughs> And you know you're going to have to make that decision again. Or it could be a relationship you were wanting to rebuild. Something God put in your heart to reinstate. But again, the cost. The humility that's required. The time that needs to be invested. So those are just some of the things that came to my mind as I was preparing. But what is it for you? What have you been running from? Last week, Matt brought us that brilliant message. Uh, all right. It was all right, you know. A brilliant <laughs> message. It was. It was brilliant. Um, of recommitment, didn't he? To Christ, to the church, to the cause. And God is still speaking to some of us about this. It's time to come back. It's time to reconnect uh, some of those important relationships that have been lost to Christ, to the church, to the cause, and get stuck in to all that God has for you. But perhaps coming back would be too hard because of the shame you feel and where you've ended up. I can't help but think of the prodigal son, prodigal son's story, and this may apply to some people today, but... Just think of that story of this prodigal son and the father who looked with longing for the return of his younger son. And the decisions the younger son had to make in that return, his fear about how he might be received and 
the shame that he felt, the thought that he'd completely blown it. Ever thought that? But then as the father sees his younger son in the distance, Jesus tells us he picks up the corner of his robes and he tucks them into his underpants. And he runs towards his son with open arms of love and acceptance. And he says, you're still my son. Kill the fatted calf, we're going to have a party. And for some, someone here, maybe it's that serious. It's not just running the call of God, but running from the presence of God himself. But there's a call to come back and to restore relationship, to be reunited with your father, to reconnect with his people and the life that he's called you to. And the series we're starting today is called Offended by Grace. And we're going to unpack that in the following weeks. But bottom line, Jonah was offended by the full extent of what God was willing to overlook and forgive for the sake of reconciliation. He is amazing. He is so amazing. He is offensively amazing. I know. Because you see, there's nothing that you can do, no distance you can travel, no place that you can hide, no sin you could ever commit that would ever prevent you from returning to the loving arms of your Heavenly Father. So stop running and come back. I love the fact that the prodigal son only got to the edges of his father's estate before he was spotted. <laughs> And the father does all the running for him because he has to get to him as quick as he can and embrace him. That's what he's like. You just need to stop running yourself because he's not going to run after you, but he's going to run towards you. That's what he's like. Jonah, son of Amate, the dove of truth here and I didn't kind of expect to do this as the kind of introduction to the series but I just feel that you know it's time to come clean to be honest to to stop running to come back to dig in again reconnect reconnect with the call of God on your lives receive forgiveness be restored do what you did at first What's God called you to? What's he told you to do? And I really believe that this is a message of restoration and reconciliation, restoration, reconnection, all that kind of thing for some of us here today and some of us listening afterwards. Father, we just release your blessing all over the church right now and all over our friends on Zoom as well. We just release blessing over you. And Father, we just pray that your purposes and your plans would be worked out in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.